Let us pray. So, Father, we thank you for your promise that you, we will be found by you when we seek you with our whole heart. So, Lord, we invite your presence into our midst this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and mold and shape us, and more fully reveal to us Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. I want to express thanks to our acapella music team this morning for leading us. Thank you all so much for your hard work. And um, they were here early service as well. And as I, I um, said early service, um, there are a few folks on the team that aren't early risers. Right, Lucia? And yet, Lucia was here about 7.30 this morning. So thank you all very much for singing and leading us into the Lord's presence in song. Um, and continue to pray as we um, navigate the season of transition and search for a new music director. So please continue praying for that. I'm so grateful for um, the ways the Lord has provided during this season. I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices, and um, we're going to be moving around looking at some different scriptures this morning, so kind of just hold fast, and I will direct you as we move through the sermon. It's been a very full and wonderful week for many of us here at All Saints Church. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday 2023, and the ushers were handing out um, Anglicans for Life um, information as you came in this morning. If you didn't get that, please see them on your way out, and they'll be glad to give that to you. But in conjunction with it being Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, this past Friday was the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., and... Anglicans for Life sponsored a number of events here in the region. It began Thursday evening with our AFL Youth Summit, in which our youth participated as a group with a number of their leaders. And they participated here at our church in the multi-purpose room virtually via an interactive live stream. Then on Friday morning, um, folks from our diocese and a number of folks from across the entire province of the Anglican Church in North America gathered at the Falls Church Anglican for a prayer service prior to the March for Life. Bishop Eric Meniz, the ACNA Bishop of the Diocese of San Joaquin, was the speaker and had a superb, superb sermon. I'm going to see if we can get that, um, the video of that um, link on, linked onto our website in the newsletter. And I encourage all of you to get a chance to um, listen to what Bishop Eric had to say. Following the prayer service, we bundled up and stuffed our pockets with granola and snacks and um, boarded the buses to go to the March for Life on the Mall in Washington, which was a wonderful, wonderful and inspiring time. And I want to clarify some kind of misunderstandings that sometimes we get about the March for Life if, if you've never gone. First of all, it is not political. Um, you know, abortion issues certainly spill over into the political realm, but it is not a political demonstration. And um, it's actually a very wonderful, prayerful walk, um, lots of fellowship. And the other thing is what you see on the evening news really is not representative of the March for Life in two ways. One, there's not a lot of heckling and hollering back and forth, but typically up in front of the Supreme Court, which is kind of in the Capitol, which is kind of where the march um, ends, there will usually be a number of pro-abortion demonstrators it's a very small group of people. I mean, Father Jed, I don't think I'm exaggerating. About a dozen people this year. I mean, you know, there were tens of thousands of people in the March for Life. And you've got, you know, 
20 or 20 or 30 demonstrators, and then a small group of people who aren't representative of the whole March for Life. They're kind of yelling back and forth with them. But that is where all the evening news cameras were focused as you came by. There were thousands and thousands of other people walking by, praying, singing, whole Catholic religious orders in their habits, walking past. And none of that, but what you see on the evening news really isn't representative of what takes place at the March for Life, nor are the counter-protesters, if you will, nearly as large of a contingency as what the cameras would make you think. So just all that to kind of fill you in. But folks from our church and across the ACNA then yesterday, both in person and virtually, participated in the Summit for Life, which is a, an all-day event, takes place at the Falls Church Anglican. And then for our church to wrap things up tonight, our youth will be touring the Life First facility in Manassas, Virginia, the, the crisis pregnancy and pregnancy care center that we support and are so involved with. A number of our folks from our church are very involved with right here in our community. And they will have the opportunity to see via a remote screen in a separate area, a live ultrasound in, in real time on a, on a um, pregnant person being performed so they can see what a baby in the womb looks like via an ultrasound. And so this will be a wonderful life-affirming experience for them tonight as well. This morning what I want to do is briefly discuss, discuss some of the biblical perspectives on life. Now stick with me. We're going to be moving through some different scriptures. And my sermon today is um, significantly more topical, if you will, than is usual for me. Usually I, I pick one primary verse or text of scripture and really kind of drill down into that. Uh, but we'll be looking at some multiple verses today. What I want to do briefly this morning is to talk about some of the foundational biblical principles that, that affirm life and then make application for us. Now, to be clear, my time and the extent to which we are exploring this this morning, it is woefully, woefully inadequate. We're really just kind of skipping along the peaks of the waves. This is more than a sermon series. This would be, you know, a whole semester of, of teaching, if you will. But let's, let's begin, as is so important, with some foundational principles from Scripture. And there are two I want to begin with. And if you, if you forget everything else I say this morning, everything else we talk about, please don't miss this. The first foundation is that God alone is the author of human life. God alone is the author of human life. We are created in his image. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Being image bearers of God sets you and me and every human being apart from the rest of God's created order. Did you hear that? We are set apart and other than the rest of the created order. We are not a higher level animal. We are not the top of the food chain. We are created as human beings in God's image. 
However, with this reality of being created in God's image, we are, we are all comes responsibility, comes unique responsibility. We are not merely our own. We are created by God. We are created in God's image. And consequently, we are called to recognize this reality. And in recognizing this, we see that we are not an end in ourselves. Rather, our life, our being, and our end are in God. As human beings, we are created for relationship with God. And we also hear this. And we also have a responsibility to God. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We have a responsibility to be faithful stewards of life and of his image in us. And to miss these truths is to subjectively diminish the intrinsic worth of every human being. Now I say subjectively because the objective fact is God has made us in his image and there's nothing that anyone or anything can do to alter that reality. But there are things that happen in our world and in our lives and in the lives of other people that diminish that image of God subjectively. We are called to affirm and uphold this image of God in ourselves and in other people, all human beings, in word and in deed. I'm going to share some quotes today from a a document called Evangelium Vitae, which is Latin for the gospel of life. The gospel of life, Evangelium Vitae, was or is a papal encyclical. Now, all big words here. That means it's a letter, in this case, Pope John Paul II, released on March 25th, 1995. It's a teaching letter, 99 pages, um, to the entire church, to Catholic bishops, to the Catholic church, but then also to all all Christians, and as it says, to all people of goodwill. If you're interested in reading Evangelium Vitae, which I actually would highly recommend, just email me at the church office and I will send you the link. It's available online. But Evangelium Vitae is very significant. It is arguably, and I believe it is, the most significant Christian theological pro-life document of the past century. I want to quote from paragraphs 34 and 39, where we read first, man has been given a sublime dignity based on the intimate bond which unites him to his creator. And man shines forth a reflection of God himself. Then in paragraph 39, man's life comes from God. It is his gift, his image and imprint as sharing in his breath of life. God, therefore, is the sole Lord of this life. Man cannot do with it as he wills. Indeed, God is the author of human life, and we and all people are created in his image. The second foundational truth this morning is that life begins at conception, and all life is priceless. It is of infinite value. It's of infinite value and priceless because the value of life has been assigned by God and not by us. An unborn child is fully human from the moment of conception. Scripture affirms this. Psalm 139, verses 12 through 13. 
For you yourself made my inmost parts, even as we read a little while ago. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. <clears throat> this was clearly the belief of the early church as well. And as I, I tried to pare down quotes from the early church, which was very difficult, I really boiled it down just to two. But there are just citations after citation after citation from the early church fathers affirming the dignity and the value of all human life. If you want some more information on that, email me and I'll send you some links as well. But the Didache, one of the earliest Christian documents that is not part of the canon of Scripture, penned around AD 70, says this, You shall not procure an abortion, nor destroy a newborn child. The letter of Barnabas, AD 74, says, Thou shalt not slay the child by procuring abortion, nor again shalt thou destroy it after it is born. And again, these are just a few of the host of citations I could give. However, hear me, being pro-life is not just about abortion. You can actually be anti-abortion and not really be truly and fully pro-life because there's so much more. The entire human lifespan and all people, even those with limited mental and physical capabilities, are created in God's image and their lives are sacred and of infinite worth. This is the affirmation of all of Holy Scripture. This is the belief of the Church of Jesus Christ from its earliest days. And gratefully, this is the testimony and a core tenet of the Anglican Church in North America. In the Anglican Church of North America Constitution and Canons, Canon 8, Section 3, we read this. God and not man is the creator of human life. The unjustified taking of life is sinful. Therefore, and hear this, this is our charge. Therefore, all members and clergy, hear that? all members and clergy are called to promote and respect the sanctity of every human life from conception to natural death. This is why we include these concerns in the prayers of the people every Sunday. So we must begin with the biblical truths that God is the author and sustainer of life and the truth that all persons are created in his image. Additionally, we must also affirm the value of all human life in light of Christ's death. Did you hear that? Christ's death affirms the value of of human life, that Christ came and died for us. Evangelium Vitae again in paragraph 25 says this, the blood of Christ, while it reveals the grandeurs of the Father's love, shows how precious man is in God's eyes and how priceless the value of his life. Now what I want to do as we move along here this morning a little bit is to, to challenge our thinking some this morning, maybe broaden our perspective so often, far too often, we have this bent to jump to specific issues, specific concerns. Concerns which are incredibly valid and important. 
However, that cannot be our starting place if we are to think biblically in a fully informed and all-encompassing way. Yes, we begin with God as a creator and sustainer, the author of human life. We begin with human beings, create, being, human beings being created in his image. And then from this frame of reference, we then work to form in our lives and in the life of our church, a comprehensive, did you hear that? Comprehensive, life-affirming biblical worldview in light of the whole counsel of scripture. A worldview that should touch upon every facet of how you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, live and order our lives. To be clear here, I am not talking about politics. Yes, some things in this arena carry over into the secular and political areas for us as individuals in certain respects. Because for the Christian, there shouldn't be some dichotomy between the secular and the sacred. It's kind of like if, if I live my life one way on Sunday mornings and then I go to work and live my life a completely other or completely non-Christian way. That's an ungodly, unbiblical dichotomy. We are the people of God at all times and in all places, and our core convictions as the people of God should inform how we conduct and order our lives in every area. So we're talking about a worldview that touches upon every facet of how we live and order our lives. For the Christian, excuse me, for the Christian, again, this should not be a dichotomy, but that's not the focus and certainly not where we start. Now, time doesn't allow me to do full justice on these matters, not even close, but please hear me. As we work to embrace and inculcate in our lives a biblically informed, life-affirming worldview, from this framework, from that place, we then address specific concerns in word and deed. Now, there is certainly a hierarchy in these concerns. The direct active taking of a human life must be paramount. It must be at the top. So actions like homicide, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, assisted suicide, these are top-tier levels of concern. However, we cannot stop with these issues or concerns as biblical, God-fearing Christians. Every Sunday, as part of our preparation and worship of the Lord to receive the Eucharist, we hear these words. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall, the Lord your, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of our actions, all of our attitudes, all of our ways of conducting our lives, individually and corporately, which in any way oppose, hinder, or limit life, are things which God calls us to adjust, to reorder in how we live our lives. We need to repent of those things and turn away from them. And a huge part of that is caring for the folks that Jesus called. And Bishop Eric talked about this a little bit last Friday. The least of these. Caring for the least of these is an integral part of a life-affirming worldview. 
as Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger and alien, the naked, the sick, the prisoner. This is not just in Matthew 25. This is consistent with the Old Testament as well. Consider our Old Testament reading this morning from the prophet Amos, verses 4 and 7. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Take some time and peruse the Old Testament prophets, particularly the minor prophets. Peruse the law and look at the Old Testament commands to God's people that express concern for the poor, the hungry, the immigrant, the stranger, the alien, the refugee. Express concern for widows and orphans. All these things which in the culture of that day in in the culture we live in have the potential to shorten and limit people's lives and which create conditions in opposition to the reality that these people too are God's image bearers. I did a number of short-term missions trips to Bolivia um, and we were in the lowlands. I've spoken of this in some other respects previously um, outside of the city of Santa Cruz, which is which is very much on the edge of the Amazon base. And it's not what you think of like in La Paz where it's cool and you're at 12,000 feet. This is down in the lowlands on the edge of the Amazon. It's hot, it's humid. It doesn't cool down at night much. Um, but in the villages that we were working in, there was a huge issue with um, a lack of clean water because wells are hand dug. So they may be 30, 40, 50 feet deep but runoff from the surface water, including runoff from animal waste, ends up in the wells. And, and then cholera grows and develops in those wells. And this is not unique to Bolivia. This is um, a critical issue in much of the two-thirds world. But in those, those villages, large numbers of young children died every year because of cholera. Because of lack of clean water, Tens of thousands of children die around the world every year with an issue that could be solved with simply having deep wells that, that took water from the, the lower levels than rather than having surface runoff water. Clean water in this case, brothers and sisters, it is a pro-life issue. People need clean water and children need clean water. That's just one example, but, but our life-affirming worldview must expand out and encompass other areas and other concerns. Again, to quote Evangelion Vitae, what is ever, whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted on the body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions where people are treated as mere instruments of gain rather than as free and responsible persons. All these things and other, others like them are infamies indeed. They poison human society and they do more to harm those who practice them than those who suffer from the injury. Moreover, they are a supreme dishonor to the creator. 
So what is our call? What is our responsibility? Well, our call, first of all, is to be a people of God that values, affirms, and supports human life and dignity in every situation and every circumstance that we would encounter. And that is not just on the theoretical level. It's easy to, to kind of keep it up there on the theoretical level, but also in our lifestyle choices, in our actions, and in our prayers. Our call is to be a people that care for the whole person because we are wholly created in God's image. Yes, we address people's desperate spiritual need, their need for Christ as Savior, but we also address their physical needs, whatever they may be. We support mothers in crisis pregnancies. We don't just say simply, keep your baby, don't have an abortion, but we support you and we walk with you because they're often in incredibly difficult circumstances. We address needs of hunger. We address needs of injustice from a godly biblical perspective. Again, this is not about politics. Our call is to live our lives in a way that is not excessive or extravagant so that others have enough and that we can minister to the needs of others out of the abundance with which God has blessed us. Our call and responsibility is to be agents of reconciliation and healing to those who have been wounded by the culture of death around us. And that touches on so many different areas. But I want to talk especially today about abortion recovery. Because I know in a, in a church this size, and I know with our live stream, that without a doubt there are people here who have at some point in the past had abortions, taken a friend, taken a girlfriend to have an abortion. And while abortion is the taking of a human life and is absolutely sinful, God loves you. God wants to take that which the enemy has intended for evil in your life and use it for good. He wants to heal you. He wants you to experience his forgiveness and his restoration. And I want to mention there will be a link on our church website, but um, Susie Spear from our own church will be leading an abortion recovery Bible study through Life First in Manassas. We're not sure if it'll be in the Manassas Center or the Woodbridge Center. Um, beginning in March, if that's you, the link will be there. It will be confidential. No one here other than Susie will know about that. Or you can speak with Susie directly in private as well. If that's you, if you've um, participated in abortion anyway, please talk. Let God heal you. Experience his grace and forgiveness. You don't have to keep this in darkness any longer. We're also to be agents of those wounded by the culture of death around us in so many other ways as well. Our responsibility and our call is to live in a way that is biblically counterculture. Did you hear that? Counterculture to the culture of death, violence, greed, materialism, and self-absorbed individualism that is all around us. It is indeed all around us. And it has at times tragically crept into the church and continues to try to creep into the church. And yet none of this is of the Lord, it's of the enemy, it's of darkness. 
God calls us to live our lives in a way that is countercultural, counterculture to these things, in a way that affirms a life-giving culture, in a way that affirms the truth that people are created in God's image, to not be absorbed with excess and greed and individualism, which says it's all about me because that's completely contrary to God's word. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to engage as our Lord and Savior did in self-giving love. That doesn't mean me first. And our call is to be and grow in becoming more fully Christ bearers of his life, his character, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his healing, his truth to those all around us. So that even as we try and attempt to do it our food giveaways, we, we pray for folks. Folks have the opportunity for prayer, for healing, to receive Christ, to know Jesus. And we also minister to their physical needs as well. But we are to be bearers of that life, affirming the glorious image of God in everyone we encounter. And to cultivate a culture in ourselves and form it in our church which affirms the goodness of the life that God has created um, and to live in a life-giving, life-affirming way that is comprehensive, spiritually, physically, and, and that whole picture so that we reflect God's glory and we become in greater measure bearers of that image to a world around us who desperately needs to know that Christ loves them. Christ cares about all of their needs. Christ cares about healing those wounds, healing those broken places, restoring people and bringing them into fullness of life in him. Brothers and sisters, that is our call and responsibility. And then out of that, as we grow in cultivating a life-affirming culture, God will lead us and God will equip us and God will empower us to speak to and address and minister to specific issues in the world all around us as his church in this day. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have created us and every person in your image to be your image bearers. So Lord, fill us with your life. And Lord, I pray that you would increasingly cultivate in us Form in us, Lord, and in this church a biblical, life-affirming culture, a worldview that is counterculture to the death and the materialism and the self-absorption all around us, that we would live lives of self-giving, Christ-ordained, God-breathed love, and that we would reach out to the least of these at their place of need, at their points of brokenness, that they could experience your healing and your life. Lord, help us to defend the life of all people, not just in word, but in tangible action in our lives, that your image would, re would shine more brightly and that you would be glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.